Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fluently Ford. I'm excited, honored, and very lucky to have on today for, I think, a second time, yeah. a friend, an author, a podcaster, a TikToker, a former lawyer, Cece. Welcome back to the show. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me back. I don't know. I feel I feel pretty good. I feel like a lot has changed since I've last been back. So we'll, we can talk about how uh, the world has changed us in the interim. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, I'm so excited to have you on for Succession because talk about someone who knows all about like business moguls trying to get ahead. Like, <laughs> we're going to have so many thoughts on this because the last time you were on, we talked a little bit about like celebrity law. Mm-hmm. You had your podcast currently workshopping. You are now a podcast queen. You've also got Sense and Sensitivity with Hannah Stella that you're doing and a book out on the way, I think, right? Those are like the major changes. Yeah, no, no, you got it right. I mean, after our lovely conversation last time and I like basically limped through season one of my solo podcast currently workshopping, I was like, you know what? I can't do this by myself. It is, I just like do not have what it takes to just talk into a mic for an hour. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how other solo podcasters do it. I get sick of the sound of my voice if there's not someone on the other side, like at least nodding. Yeah. Well, have you tried being a narcissist or a sociopath? Because then you never get sick of yourself. You know, I think I should take some classes. So I'm all about classes nowadays. So I think New York is the great place to take a narcissism class, which I probably should take. Yeah. You just like go to any elevator and you press the penthouse button and you're like, I heard you're great at this. Teach me how to have no feelings. (laughs) Exactly. But in the wake of that, as I try to work on my narcissism, I did decide to team up with someone else because I love podcasting. I love the medium. I love talking talking to people, but I was like, I can't do it alone. So that kind of led to my new podcast, Sense and Sensitivity with Hannah Stella. And the conceit is really that, uh, you know, she was a stay-at-home housewife. I was a lawyer. Last year, we both blew up our lives and are trying to make it doing like God knows what in this world. And it's been, it's been a fun journey. Uh, also just like learning and getting to talk about like our respective worlds of New York, but I am mostly just like working on my book. It's due in a year, but that means that it's going to be published two years from now. And I hate when people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working on a book. And then they ask when it's out. And I have to just say two years from now. It makes it seem like I'm doing nothing in the interim. Isn't that wild? I wonder if instead you did it by like, I don't know, for me, I'm like, that's one more fine line away, you know, like what is two years? You know how like two weeks is a fortnight? Instead, you can just start telling people like vague things. You're like, when the next Taylor Swift album comes out, it's like when it's due, you know, like it's three Marvel movies from now from being out or actually with Marvel, probably more like 15, but you know. Yeah. I should do something like when Rihanna makes music again, like something that (laughs) we can't really know. And then people will be like, okay, well... When will that be? You know, no expectations. I feel like Taylor Swift is at least like a little bit consistent with her cadence. Rihanna now is like Frank Ocean. So (laughs) that would be my ideal level of output. Just like no one knows, you drop it, it's amazing, and then you disappear. Yeah, I love that. Well, I'm so excited to dive into Succession with you. So we'll be uh, diving a little bit in to all the individuals on the show, a little bit of an intro about it. We're going to talk about how this show came to be and the very different personalities on the show. If you haven't watched season four yet, there will be spoilers in here because something (laughs) big happened in season four. And obviously we have to talk about that. So 
before we even get into the intro of the show, how did you get into Succession? I binged it all in the past month because everybody told me that they wanted an episode on it. And let me tell mm. you, I've been walking around like, you know, whatever show you binge, you kind of start to mimic the characters on it. Like if I watch three episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I'll like call my mom and be like, hey, bitch, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like with Modern Family, if you binge that, you're nice. With Succession, I've been walking around like I fly in helicopters and like I, I take shared Ubers. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it makes you feel rich when you watch the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. But which character are you? Like, are you all of them? Are you one at a time? Well, you know what? I'm a little bit of a con head because I feel <laughs> like he loves those conspiracy theories. I feel like he doesn't want to be a part of the noise. Like he's happy taking a back seat. Like he's not like trying to get that power. And I feel like he just wants to um, make love to a beautiful woman in New Mexico. And I'm like, that sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? Who are yeah. you? Are yeah. you Shiv? Oh, gosh. I think I'm like a mix of Kendall and Shiv, which is not flattering to who I am (laughs) at all. (laughs) Because I think, honestly, they're two of like the most heinous, devious characters on the show. But uh, I mean, I got into the show because I love HBO. I'm like an HBO girly, prestige TV. I hate that I'm such a stereotype sometimes of like a New Yorker where you're like, I love HBO and reading New Yorker pieces. And I think this episode will be actually talking about both HBO and New Yorker pieces. Mm -hmm. And You know, when a show gets enough buzz and everyone's like, oh, it's like, you know, the new thing, it's really doing something interesting, I'm going to watch it. And I think I watched, what, all of season one, absolutely binged it. Nathaniel, um, that's my partner, he actually had to stop because it got too stressful for him. And he was like, everyone's being too mean. I can't watch this anymore. So I had to continue on season one without him and just absolutely fell in love with it. I think it encapsulates so much of the corporate gameplay and strategies that from the outside, it's like, you know, you only see the investor presentations. You only see the really polished moments. But on the inside, it's honestly a mess. And like the ways in which I think Veep shone a light on what actually politics was like. I think Succession shines a light on how the decisions of these multi-billion dollar companies get made. And it's a lot of personality. Dude, yes. Like I, there's no, remember like in Legally Blonde where there's a montage scene of her like studying on a treadmill and working hard. I'm like, you don't see these people type an email once in the entire fucking series. Like they're never coding. They're never like doing math. Like I remember there was a line recently where, oh my God. And this made me love it because I feel like raise your hand if you've like ever dated a guy who's like, oh, like my work is so important. And like, I'm saving the world by doing this. And I remember there was a line where Kendall was like, we're wrestling a 500 pound ogre right now. And Shiv said, Kendall, you're reading documents. And I feel like that's so many people in New York where they're like, I'm actually saving the world by working on my spreadsheets until 2 a.m. And it's like, you're a consultant. Let's like take it down a notch. Like you're typing in Microsoft Excel and like everything that happens, you're not seeing people's raw talent, but you're seeing them like use jargon to try to manipulate people and get their way. And especially with the Roy siblings, you're like, oh, it's so transparent that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But with someone like Jerry or Logan, you're like, okay, they actually know what they're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like what I found so tickling about the show is as a former corporate lawyer, you just see people have that same posturing towards what they're doing, right? Like if you ask them what they're doing, they're always like, you know, I'm like saving companies. I'm like saving people's jobs. (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay. I think you're uh, helping this company respond to an investigation that they like 
fucked up their accounting or like defrauded investors. But okay, I guess you are kind of saving jobs. Um, And it's so funny how they use this like weird double speak to justify everything that they're doing and make it so much more highfalutin. I remember meeting a guy, I think he's like a lawyer turned private equity bro. And he was like, you know, I was a philosophy major, but I think what I do now is like the philosophy of the market, the philosophy of companies. And it's like, I know you can't make this stuff up, which is what I love is I do think, especially like Jesse Armstrong and his team of writers, they are so much about verisimilitude and doing their research that it makes me cringe when I watch the show because the language, the like use of corporate speak to advance your own goals is just so spot on. It's both like, uh, it's affirming to my own experiences in corporate America, but also uh, healing in a way to be like, oh God, I wasn't crazy when I heard someone say this like philosophy of the market thing and just like cringe on the inside. Because other times it's just, like, you know, it's just you two and you're like, am I crazy? Like, yeah. is that a reasonable thing to say? Yeah. And what I find interesting too is that HBO is diving into this world with Succession and White Lotus where why do we love to watch, you know, filthy rich people with like no morals or ethics whatsoever. And we're just like obsessed with watching it. I don't know if this is like a recent trend or somebody who knows more about like sociology could probably tap into saying like, oh, there's a reason why now in a recession we're drawn to watching these rich, evil people. And maybe it's because when I watch White Lotus in succession, sometimes I go, oh, like, wouldn't it be nice to be a billionaire? And then you watch how fucked up their lives are. And you're like, "Mm, I'm okay. I'm okay with what I'm doing right now because I guess that's not wonderful life. So I just wonder if they're going to be making more shows like this. Could you see that happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is an interesting moment in Hollywood now where we are open to a lot more shows that are more like Greek tragedies in a way, like they're Mm. about catharsis, right? I think previously when things were good, we watched a lot of shows that were for entertainment purposes, but now that we are headed towards a recession, it seems like the world is burning. We appreciate these shows that kind of poke a hole in like our pressure valve of ourselves and being able to like slowly release that and like feel that moment of catharsis like of oh oh this is like they're rich but this is their fatal flaw and like now we see their downfall now we see them die now we see them like live less than happy lives it does help us feel a little bit more like as a community right like we're the greek chorus we're like oh like Kendall Roy I don't know we'll like start (laughs) singing about him and just like watch him implode and feel some like a little bit better at the end which is kind of like the whole point of a lot of media is to feel better yeah oh my god you said singing and I almost started going L to the OG (laughs) yes the OG and he playing okay well let's get a little bit into the show um like you said it was created by Jesse Armstrong it premiered in 2018 and I believe season four is the final season so no more succession after this yes We already said it's an HBO show. It's a comedy drama. And when we get into each of these individual characters, apparently Jeremy Strong, who played Kendall, didn't think it was a comedy for the first season. Like, he thought he was playing. Yes, that's what I've heard. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think it was, like, in his profile, right, where uh, he was talking to Kieran, who plays Roman, and Mm -hmm. Roman was like, it's comedy, and Logan was like, oh, no, sorry, not Logan. Kendall was like, no, it's not. And they just, like, (laughs) kind of looked at each other. It's, like, such an odd moment. I feel like, you know, don't you have conversations with people like that where you're like, well, it's clearly about this, and then they're like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? 
Mm-hmm. And I just like, I remember if there's, I mean, if they there's could like, do anything to Kendall, I would want more of his cringe factor. Like I remember the very first opening scene, right? Where he's got his noise canceling headphones on in the car and he's like rapping out loud in the car to himself being driven somewhere. And, you know, he's like, I just wanted to hold this meeting to get everybody together to say, yo. And I, I really want more of those like Kendall cringe moments where he's trying to be cool because there's just something about a, and we see this with Elon Musk. Like you could have all the money in the world and you just want to like be respected for your memes or being like, I don't know, like knowing different slang words. And it's like, what is going on with these men's psyche where like they need to be accepted by a group that like just by definition is not going to accept them. It's crazy. I think they're just like, they've never been cool, right? And I think this was something. uh, So I really, I feel for Jeremy Strong because he went to Yale and like I went to Yale. So I understand what it's like to like not be cool your life and then get to a brand new environment and you're like, everyone here, they're nerds. So maybe I can be cool amongst the nerds. And all Mm. of a sudden you just like comport yourself differently. You like try to put on a posture. And I think, you know, for like Elon, for a lot of the tech millionaires billionaires they were always kind of like a nerdy dude but then they got money and now with the money they're like oh cool maybe now I can be cool and we're all like chasing this idea of wanting to be cool uh even when you know it takes a while to realize that you can't really get there like you're either cool or not it's not like something that you (laughs) can become with money or like amongst the nerds or anything yeah I always think too like there's some things where if you have money you can get it, right? Like you can kind of get a good body, right? Like you can get surgery done, you can pay for a trainer, you can eat well, you can dress better with money, but charisma and being cool are something that all the money in the world and you're never going to be able to have those talents if you're not just born with it, which is fascinating. So why don't we start with Jeremy Strong here? Because I feel like he's, there's not as many blinds about all of these people. There are some, and we're going to talk about it, but Jeremy Strong is probably the most controversial. And it's interesting because he plays Kendall Roy and it really does kind of feel a little bit like Kendall is the protagonist, which we'll get into this, but I think some of the other actors are a little bit unhappy with that because it is an ensemble cast but the show focuses so much on Kendall. Do you think that was purposeful or do you think it just kind of went that way because Jeremy was such a strong actor? Like, how do you feel about Kendall being this like quote unquote lead? I think that actually misinterprets a lot of the scenes. I really do think it is an ensemble cast in each of the siblings, especially, uh, and like, you know, the periphery family members. I think they like really are all the protagonists, but I do think it's easy to think that Kendall's the protagonist because we start off with him, right? Like he's the one making big moves against his father at various points throughout the seasons. It's not like any of the other siblings like go forth and like do a press conference. So I think Mm -hmm. especially when we dislike Logan so much, or at least, you know, his character, everything that he's done, anyone who stands up to him publicly, it's very easy to like consider them to be the protagonist because like in, you know, our life of media consumption, we like to think about things as like David Goliath, little guy, big guy. Right. And the only way we know who is who is who we see like speak out. And even though I think, you know, Roman's doing a lot of stuff, like Shiv's doing a lot of stuff, they all kind of do it under like, you know, under the rug behind, behind the scenes. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Whereas I think like Kendall is a lot more forthcoming about it and a lot more like large with his uh, 
fights, which makes it seem like it is much more of a bigger fight. Even though, like, you know, I think they're all fighting just in different ways, but we generally think of, like, loudness as what makes one a protagonist, right? We don't really, like, appreciate the quiet protagonists as much, especially in a medium like TV. Yeah, like, the introverts are never the ones where you're like, oh my god, wait, like, they have something special, but, like, they should be. But Yeah, it's, they're still it's doing just, the like, same loudness. thing. You said something interesting, and I kind of have, like, a little bit of a hot take where you were like, you know, we're drawn to Kendall because we dislike Logan so much. I'm not sure if I disliked <gasps> Logan that much. Like, when I watched season one, at least, everybody was like, oh, my God, he's the worst person ever. And I kept waiting for this awful bombshell. I mean, he's not a good person, right? But I think no. to me, maybe maybe it's but just none because of them are. I... Yeah, none of them are. But at least Logan was smart and he worked hard. And I think to me, I can't really, like, sympathize with any character or, like, any person who doesn't have a good work ethic. And like, there's so many moments in the show where like Logan does something bad, but he's almost kind of like a Tywin Lannister Game of Thrones where you're like, okay, but he deserved, like he earned that right to do something bad. Whereas where Roman, Shiv or Kendall do something bad, I'm like, you didn't even fucking work for it. Like you didn't even take that management class. Like you didn't even do anything. Like you don't deserve any of this. There's something about like people who, I don't know, like haven't, worked hard that to me almost makes them more of a villain so what would you say was like the worst thing that Logan did remind me because maybe I'm forgetting something I think he's just like terrible to all of the people around him right like I agree I really appreciate people who have like good work ethic I think good help is really hard to find and if you're willing to work like that's something I really appreciate but I also don't think good work and a good work ethic allows you or gives you a pass to be terrible. And I think that's something I saw a lot, right, um, in mm. Big Law was a lot of people who were like, well, I worked so hard, you know, I had to suffer through all of this. And now they do think that it gives them a pass to be terrible to everyone else. And I, I think that just, like, annoyed me so much. I agree, you know, the siblings, it's not like they have a pass to be terrible as well because they also didn't work much, like you said. But I just don't think there's ever a point in your life where you can be like, man, something happened to me so much or I had to work so hard that now I can just treat everyone terribly. Uh, and you don't like realize the negative consequences that you are exerting on the world, right? Like, okay, this past episode of Succession, very interesting moment, right, where Kendall's daughter is apparently like being, is like subject to anti like you know I, I forgot what his daughter is but like she's not white so uh has been subject to kind of like some ve veiled racial attacks even and Kendall is just like what how is this happening like what is what is happening and his ex-wife tries to tell him oh you know like her classmates are really you know with her and they're creating this like anti-ATN campaign, which is, you know, good in some way. And he like doesn't see that. The thing that he's, he has created has like such negative externalities for the rest of the world, including his very own daughter. And I think that's kind of Logan's problem as well, where he's like so focused on getting ahead and doing what he needs to do that he doesn't realize the negative externalities he's creating by being so terrible to, you know, his staff, by being so terrible to his uh, kids, right? Like, it's within that environment that allows rampant sexual misconduct in cruises to occur, right? And to just, like, be continuously swept under the rug. Like, this doesn't all happen yeah. in a vacuum. And, like, you know, if you're the CEO, I think you need to be the CEO. You need to take 
full responsibility for what you're creating. Well, and maybe that's done on purpose too, right? Because it, it's so funny just in general how like you s- you let older people get away with more. Like when the queen was dying, everybody was like, ooh, like we forgot about all the stuff that like the queen did because she's like a little old lady. And the same thing kind of happens with Logan. And I wonder if they almost do that on purpose in the show because what did they call like non-important people um, with the cruise scandals? They, they had like some sort of acronym oh, yeah. for someone who like wasn't a VIP. And because there aren't any, you don't get any footage in the show of somebody on a cruise. You get one scene of like Greg throwing up in his costume at the park, but because you don't see the lives of these people or not that you would ever want like a graphic rape scene. Like I hate when HBO does that, although they're like drawn to it like catnip in Game of Thrones, but you don't see any of this stuff happening. So kind of similar to all the people on the executive team, you're like, well, it's kind of just numbers on a page and it's like a line into TV show. So like maybe these people aren't doing anything bad. No, but you're right. Like they are doing something bad. You just don't ever see it happen on the show, which is kind of freaky. Mm -hmm. I think the writers are trying to draw you into how insular their world is, right? Like that, nothing else matters, that nothing else happens, that there are no consequences for for what they're doing. And it's only on the rare times where we get to like peek through that. And then like those moments I think are really valuable because you do realize like, you know, with all the election stuff, they have such a sway on the world. They like really impact our lives. But I think for them, it really is just like, like Shiv said in the last episode, just gossip and money, money and gossip. That really Mm -hmm. is like what their world's consisting of. Which is wild. This week's episode is brought to you by Saqqara. If you want to bouge it up like me sometimes and you want to indulge in like a healthy way and just kind of like feel fit, you know, sometimes I do things because they make me feel good. Saqqara is that. They've got these flexible signature nutrition programs where they will send you different meals. You can pick from breakfast, lunch, dinner. You can pick how many you want, how many throughout the week that you want. It's a subscription program where they will send these meals to you. They also have on their website different snacks, teas, bars, all of this, you're going to be able to get 20% off of it because you're a Fluently Forward listener. So if you want to check out any of their ready-to-eat, delivered-to-your-door meals or anything else, they've also got vitamin supplements, everything online. You can go check it out at sakara.com. That is S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Fluently, and you're going to get 20% off of your first order, which is a real bang for your buck. So go check out sakara.com. Check out their meal programs. If I were you, I love, they're all good. The lunch and dinner ones are the best for me. Sometimes I would swap and I would have like the dinner at lunch, the lunch at dinner. Go check it out. And honestly, it's just a great website to browse because you get you get a little bit inspired because all the meals are so creative. So sakara.com slash fluently. Head on over there if you want 20% off of your first order. Okay, well, let's dive into Jeremy. So Jeremy played Kendall, the maybe protagonist or maybe not. So before he was in succession, like you mentioned, he studied English at Yale and he got his start acting in different plays. And he has always been known for his very intense acting method. It's like method acting, but a little bit more extreme. So he stays in the role of Kendall 
even after cameras stopped rolling. And Brian Cox and other, well, Brian Cox was quoted saying that this was fucking annoying, and we'll get into what other people think of this. Um, Personal life for him, he has a wife, a Danish psychiatrist, Emma Wall. They've got three children together. And he's very good friends with other people in the acting Hollywood scene. He's really good friends with Michelle Williams. He's really close with Anne Hathaway. She's actually spoken out a little bit in his defense after some pieces have come out painting Jeremy to be a little bit of an eclectic weirdo. And we're going to start with some of his interviews by diving into the GQ article. And I don't know about you. I'm always, I love the part of celebrity interview articles where they begin with like how the person sat down and what they ordered for breakfast and what mm-hmm. they wore. Like it's stupid, but I love that. And this was his first quote. Cause he was like wearing Brown. He goes, My wife told me that somebody said something like the three things you're going to be certain of are taxes, death, and that Jeremy Strong will be wearing brown. And just that initial line, I'm like, okay, so he like is okay with even in a quote referring to himself in third person and also like death and taxes and me wearing brown. I feel like consistently Jeremy Strong takes everything to the most serious level. And it's like, you're wearing brown. Like I wear pastels because I have rosacea. Like it's not that serious of a thing. And he's like (laughs) death, taxes, and me wearing brown. So like just from the get-go, did you expect Jeremy Strong to have this acting style and be so serious when you saw him as Kendall Roy? Honestly, I think sometimes it's really hard to tell what an actor will be like in real life, Mm -hmm. right, Um, from his role. And I actually didn't think he would be as close to Kendall Roy as he wound up being. And it really was like, until the profile, I was like, oh my God, like you're perfect for this role. But Kendall Roy is like such a caricature. It is hard to imagine anyone actually being so like him. But yeah, you're right. His like hyper seriousness, his like, you know, his like creation of his own biblical quotes through Mm -hmm. just quoting a bunch of people all the time. These are all characteristics where... I'm not surprised about after the fact, because honestly, I think a lot of like uh, Yale students slash, you know, Ivy League students are like that. But I was shocked that he managed to get so far in his career and was still doing that and like was still striving under this like very hyper pretentious, like super serious demeanor. Because I figure at some point, like life beats that out of you, right? Like you should know by the time you're 35 that you need to take things less seriously and he just like never that never happened to him yes and I was I kept being reminded when I was reading these quotes of his where I'm like it was giving to me a little bit of Cole Sprouse because like Cole Sprouse also like his recent interviews on Call Her Daddy and like smoking like he takes himself so seriously but it's funny because like you said with age if somebody under the age of 30 does that you're like literally fuck off but if somebody older does it I'm kind of like oh well Jeremy Strong is like allowed to do it but I wonder if he was saying this shit at 17 and he's like mom I need like two tickets to go see Ghostbusters at the movie theater and it's like absolutely of pair parallel paramount importance that I do this like I just wonder if he's always been a serious little kid I'm sure because he got like I think even before he got to Yale so like you know before he was 18 he managed to get what like working on sets of with the like three actors he idolized and it was through just like cold letter writing like he had you know can you imagine this like 15 year old 16 year old kid just being like I want to work with these actors so badly. I'm going to write these letters. And this is probably like before we just easily had access to printers. Like this is not 
just a kid who's trying to have fun. He always seems like very much to the extreme. And I say this with love as someone else who was like very much to the extreme as a child, but he takes it to another level. Wait, like, I know um, we've talked about Enneagrams before and like for like, mm-hmm. he's definitely not a seven. Like his priority is not having a good time. Like I would guess he's probably a three, like dedication to the craft or maybe three is more about achievement, but like, Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah, so I'm a three, and I think I care too much about what people think. I think he doesn't really care about what people think until it gets, like, blown out of proportion, like the New Yorker article. But he, you know, to be, like, 35, 40 and still acting in this way, you can't really care about what other people think. So at some point people are like telling you that you're too weird. And it seems like he did have moments in his career where a lot of people were like, Hey, like, you know, this, you don't need to do that. Like, or, uh, you know, when he got kicked off of that Catherine Bigelow moving and he like cried and like begged for his rollback. I just, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. Like that is, would you beg for a job back? I don't, I don't know if I would nowadays. No, because like, it's just, they're like, I would love to do a brain scan on him. Cause I'm sure that part of your brain that like fear feels like embarrassment and cringe is probably so small for him. And he's like, I just like, I oh, don't yeah. care if it's cringe. Like I have to get it right. Which for me, like, have you heard of those experiments, which I, I started reading about this when I was reading or researching like online cancel culture and like mob mentality and how things spread online. And they were referencing different psychological studies where you'll put like, let's say 20 people in a room and you'll be like, okay, like, is the line thick or thin? And you write down like, it's a thick line and it is a thick line, but the other 19 people in the room are plants and they all say, oh, it's thin. And then that one person ends up going, oh yeah, the line's thin. And that's what I would do too. Cause I don't want to be embarrassed. It's like human nature to want to blend in. You know, Jeremy Strong would be like, that's the thickest line I've ever seen. <laughs> like he wouldn't care. He like is immune. Yeah. Well, and also to be fair, like that is a lot of kids at Yale, right? Like they're always going to be in the class being like, hands up. I disagree. Or like to be devil's advocate, uh, like the school is full of people like that. And like Jeremy Strong was probably one of them. (laughs) Dude, absolutely correct. What else was there? Okay, well, should we get into the New Yorker piece? Because this was the piece that was really heard around the world by Succession fans. It was called On Succession, Jeremy Strong Doesn't Get the Joke. And we find out a few things in here. Number one which was interesting, is that he auditioned for the role of Roman first. I could not see him. Can you see him as Roman? No, but I can see, like, why he, the actor, wanted to do Roman. Because I think Roman is, like, a very challenging Mm -hmm. uh, role, right? Like, how do you be both so dismissive and funny and kind of, like, a... I don't know, a shitty person, but also kind of serious and uh, lovable at the same time. So I, I see why Jeremy Strong, the actor, was like, oh, yeah, let's do the role of Roman. Because Kendall is like a little bit more, mm, no, I don't want to say one note, but like a little bit more predictable. Like we know he's kind of a trope. He's like, you know, the golden boy the like wants daddy's love. Like we've seen that before. Roman is a little bit new. Definitely. And everybody loves to play like a little bit of a bad boy. Like I feel like after reading all of these articles and doing all of these episodes, so many actors are like, I really wanted to be the villain. Like nobody wants to be 
something that's like cut and dry and already done. So yeah, he said he thought that Roman was a cool part. He's this uh, bon vivant prick and he wanted to do something he hadn't done before. The article continues and it's all the adjectives. Like I died to know the tea about the person who actually wrote this piece because they seem to not like him. Like they talk about him speaking with a slow, deliberate cadence and how he talks about acting with a monk-like solemn air about him. And this is what he said about playing Kendall. Oh my God. Quote, to me, the stakes are life and death. I take him as seriously as I take my own life. I'm sorry. Like for me, like even when people are like, Shannon, your podcast is like so incredible. I've gotten some really nice messages from people and I'm always like, don't make me out to be something big. I record, I talk into a microphone in my bathrobe. Like that's what it is. Like I don't do anything more than that. And I just find it so funny when some people are like, like I take the care, the character of Kendall as seriously as I take my own life. I hope not because like, you don't need to buy health insurance for him. Like he doesn't have a mortgage. Like you have children, like he's a character, he's fiction. So like, I don't know. I guess I'm just like tickled by this and I hope he isn't actually being serious. Right. I think he is, you know, (laughs) I think he, I think he really like some people just take their work so seriously. And I feel like, I am guilty of that because I think, you know, up until two years ago, I would have been like, I am a lawyer and like, it is what I do. It is my soul. It is like who I am, my definition, my identity. And I feel like he's, he's like that with acting. Like (laughs) I really do think he takes it so seriously and he's probably surrounded by people who also take it so seriously. And that's kind of like you're, you're, you live in this bubble where you're all like just taking the craft so seriously. And I remember, so at Yale, I like try to join the literary magazine first because I like, I was like, Oh, I love writing. Like, and the first meeting I went to, I, I quit. I was like, everyone was taking themselves so seriously. I feel like they all want to smoke their menthols and, you know, drink their pear juice because they don't want to drink alcohol. And it was like such a caricature. And I was like, these are the people who probably go on to become Jeremy Strong. Hell, maybe he was like even related to this lit mag because he was an English Mm. major. I don't know about that, but like there are just so many serious people out there in the world. And I think the writer of this article, Michael Shulman, he is also a Yaley. And I think he probably takes himself a little seriously. And he met Jeremy Strong, like while they were both, I think Jeremy Strong was like the assistant. And I think Shulman was like the intern. And Jeremy Strong taught him how to like use the copier at this like producer's place that they both worked at. So I feel like there's also some like weird, uh, you know, it's like, I know you from before and I met you in this scenario and I'm a little jealous of your success almost, but how do I use our relationship, our past relationship to my advantage? And this is something I think a lot about as a writer is like everyone I come into contact with, I'm always like, are you future material? And I mean that like, I mean, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but like you are kind of always thinking about that. So I think there's like also some dynamic between Shulman, the writer, and Jeremy Strong that isn't really like full. I mean, he kind of references it, but he doesn't disclose it fully in a way that makes it clear what his bias towards or against Jeremy Strong might be. Yeah, you're dead on. Like there, when you read in between the lines, there's jealousy dripping in some of these words. And like... Yeah, it's just it's so funny. And you brought up a good point where you're saying that, like, if you take yourself seriously, you go to Hollywood and like your publicist hypes you up, your manager says like you're a star, like all of this stuff. So it's easy to fall prey into that even more, which makes it 
funny and kind of ironic that it seems like these other actors in succession don't fall into that trope. So one of the first quotes we have here of fellow castmates on the show not, you know, aligning with Jeremy Strong's ideology (laughs) here is Brian Cox, who was asked to describe Jeremy's process. And he said, the result that Jeremy gets is always pretty tremendous. I just worry about what he does to himself. I worry about the crises that he puts himself through in order to prepare. And his approach of acting is turn it on, turn it off. And what I think, he just said this as like a very... He said this to someone else, actually, but I think this is such a fucking savage line. Like, I would cry if someone said this to me because it just makes so much (laughs) sense. So he was working with Dustin Hoffman on the 1967 film Marathon Man, and he learned that Dustin Hoffman had stayed up partying for three nights before a scene that he had to look like sleep-deprived in. And this guy, Lawrence, said to him, quote, my dear boy, why don't you try acting? And it's like... Yeah, isn't that the whole point of acting is that you can turn it off and turn it on and then act? Like, you don't have to... Like, acting is one thing. Living as the character, like, like that's indentured servitude to a fictional character. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think some people... It's either, like, their dedication to the craft, which could be Jeremy Strong, but underlying that could also just be, like, a deep insecurity. I feel oh. like, you know, I think Jeremy Strong, It's he's, like, shadowed handymen before <laughs> in preparation for, like, a show where he had to play, like, a plumber or a handyman. And I was like, that is, I mean, that is, like, one dedication. But two, it could be, like, I am so insecure about my acting that I don't know if I can get this right unless I, like, do over-research about it, if I, like, actually talk to these people. And I sympathize with this because I also am always like, well, how do I really know unless I live it? Like, how do I really know what it's like to go on a three-day bender unless I go on one? How do I really know what it's like to you know, go to Paris and have like a fling unless I do it. And I just like don't trust my imagination enough. Whereas I think, you know, Brian Cox, he's really established. He probably like trusts his imagination now, but Jeremy Strong, I don't know. I, I He's kind of like, I sympathize with him. He's like probably like my inner Cece because like, I don't know if I just trust myself in that way. And it could all be an underlying insecurity that you just like aren't good enough of an actor. You can't like conjure it up in your mind. So you have to like go out and like take it to the nth degree in order to get this like result that you want. And especially, you know, with all these like other actors who seem very like breezy about Mm -hmm. it, right? I can't help but think, oh, he probably feels a little bit intimidated. Maybe he won't admit it, but like that's an intimidating has to be a monst. Yeah, it's reminding me of that and people are going to laugh because like, I know it's like a gag on here that I bring up Taylor Swift every single episode, but like that line from Mirrorball where she's like, I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. Like Mm -hmm. that is Jeremy Strong. He's a mirrorball, you know? Like I just think it's fascinating. So we have more quotes from other people here too. Kieran (laughs) Culkin, who plays Roman, said that he approaches the role like an insult comic. And he says, the way Jeremy put it to me is that like you get in the ring and you do the scene and at the end each actor goes to their corner and Kieran ends up saying and I was like this isn't a battle this is a dance so it is funny too the way and once again like we have Kendall Roy saying oh I'm wrestling with an ogre and Shiv is like you're reading documents and then we have Jeremy Strong who's like the character is life or death and then you have Brian and Kieran who are like it's just like a thing that we do from nine to five you know so Mm -hmm. it's so funny how similar they are and also too like Jeremy, a.k.a. Kendall, taking things seriously. 
Brian, a.k.a. Logan, having this talent just come naturally to him, and then Kieran, a.k.a. Roman, just kind of like flying by the seat of his pants and like having things work out for him. We also have Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom, and he was a little I bit... Love him. Yeah, and he was Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. How long did it take for you to realize that he was Mr. Darcy? Honestly, I think I had to read a review or like a recap of an episode, and someone was like wow, that scene, isn't it so appropriate that Mr. Darcy is the one? And I was like, stop. But it made so much, it made so much Dude, sense. Like, I, I didn't know. realize it until like two seasons. And I'm like, who is this like fucker Tom? And I keep going back and forth because <laughs> in some scenes I'm like, oh, I love Tom. And then in other times I'm like sociopath, like crazy. And then when I found out he was Mr. Darcy, like everything changed for me. Like his, and then I went back and I watched Pride and Prejudice and like it was a whole thing one night. Um, but I just cannot fathom like how you could be Mr. Darcy and then also be chucking water bottles at Cousin Craig, like the range. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's a great actor and he's also, isn't he British? He's like not American yes. at all. And <laughs> in, in preparation for this role, he was like, I'm so excited to be playing an American part because in the UK, there's so much American culture and now I get to really tap into it. <laughs> like speaking of someone else who like, must be so confident in their acting. Any of the, like Sarah Snook is Australian, right? You know, Matthew McFadden's British and they're just doing American accents like it's NBD. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I think there's such a confidence there and their range is crazy. And again, going back to Jeremy Strong, I would find that so intimidating. I'd be like, what am I? I'm just like some random working class kid from America and all I've done are like these few shows and I haven't had a breakout role yet and I'm 40. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. Well, I mean, Matthew was a fan of him. Um, Apparently he just found the discourse around Jeremy Strong's acting, quote, frustrating because he was the one who said that he views succession as a true ensemble piece and that Jeremy Strong's method is, quote, not the main event, Mm -hmm. Um, which I could see that. I would be like a little bit bitter about that. Do you think that his quote on that makes sense? I think so. And I think in general, uh, the response to Strong's like Jeremy Strong's acting method is a little overblown. I think in general, we like to criticize people who try, right? Like if they try too hard, we're like, oh, that's cringe. And Jeremy Strong is out there trying a lot and trying very hard. And he told us all about how hard he tries. And of course, in the online hemisphere, we're all going to go after him for it. Like, people hate people who try. Dude, I love it. You're kind of turning me into a little bit of a Jeremy Strong apologist. Cause, Excellent. Because you know what? Like, Kendall, like, hasn't worked hard. But Jeremy Strong, damn it, he has. And that gives somebody my respect. So, you know, I like that. Yeah, he's he's actually like Logan. Yes, he's, he's, he's more like L to the OG in person. Let me tell you a little bit about Next Evo Naturals and their CBD products. I take Next Evo Naturals. You've probably seen me taking them on Instagram. I have two particular use cases for CBD. One, when I've had too much coffee and I get the jitters, I take a couple CBD gummies. And then also sometimes you wake up in a foul mood and you don't know why. And for some reason, taking CBD just always makes me feel de-stressed and in a much better mood. So I've been taking Next Evo Naturals for, I want to say about a year now, and I absolutely love them. I love the taste. I love the smart sorb CBD that they use. So basically this means that you're getting faster absorption than any other product 
four times faster than other products. They also have a great deal for Fluently Forward listeners. So if you want to upgrade your CBD, go to nextevo.com slash fluently to get 20% off your first order of $40 or more. That's 20% off $40 or more at nextevo.com slash fluently. We also had different actors who also came. This New Yorker piece really shook up Hollywood for a bit. So Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway came to his defense. Jessica said, I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. He's a lovely person. Like all of this shit came out. Then Aaron Sorkin shared a statement, but he doesn't have social media. So Jessica Chastain shared it on his behalf. So like everybody was coming to bat for him. And I feel like he ended up, you know, at first, those first 24 hours, I feel like everybody was like Jeremy Strong's weird and then after it they were like that fucker who wrote the article was actually kind of the bad guy yeah yeah again it's like if you try and your colleagues see that you try they're not not gonna be like Jeremy Strong why the fuck are you trying so hard like they appreciate the product like you like your coworker who tries a lot and like stays up late and helps you even though from the outside like outside of your corporate setting or your work setting it is a little weird to like be so devoted to your work and <laughs> yeah. to like try so hard and be like there overnight but within the confines of like your working relationship i don't know like as a director, don't you appreciate the actors who try, even yes. if it's a little over the top? And also, at least he's not one of these method actors where I always find it so funny when people are like, ooh, my character is like a playboy deviant rapist. I'll method act. And then like they'll they'll have like a movie where, you know, they're playing a character who's like a saint who gives out bread to homeless people. And they're like, no method acting for that one, I don't think. And I'm like, why is it that they're only method acting <laughs> when they're like sending dead pigeons to people in the mail? And like for Mr. Rogers, I don't think Tom Hanks was like, oh, I'm going to method act for a year and like read storybooks to children. Like they only want to method act typically when it's deviant. So at least Jeremy Strong's like not mm -hmm. sending dead animals to his castmates. So he has that going for him. All right. Now, Sarah Snook. Yeah. You mentioned she's an Australian actress. She plays Shiv. Have you seen her in Predestination? Because I was Googling around online and people are saying that her acting in that is a must watch. I haven't. It's Predestination a horror film. It's like a scary one. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's technically a thriller, yeah. but if anybody's watched it, let me know. But yeah, her big break basically was Succession. And she spoke out to Variety in 2022 about this because she is kind of the only, I mean, there's other women on there, but she's basically the main woman. And she had said that she almost turned down the part because she was concerned about sexism. And she said, if the world is going to be interested in a bunch of white dudes talking about business, and if I'm the only woman in that, then I'm likely to get sidelined and be like some sort of prop. I don't feel like that personally, nor do I feel like I want to compete for that. And it's interesting because they they make Shiv a powerful player, and I like that she was involved in her own thing before she got on mm -hmm. board, but it's very easy to see in season four her being pushed out. Now, with your background, mm -hmm. I would assume that you would co-sign this and say that when it comes to the high-powered corporate world, women are definitely pushed out. Yeah, yeah, and it happens, like, in such sinister ways, too, right? Like... Uh, it can be just as subtle as, you know, I was talking to someone who said that when they got married and took like a month long honeymoon because they'd been like working themselves to rags essentially for the past like many years, after they got back from their honeymoon, um, they just started getting iced out of stuff. And there was this, I mean, you can't really prove it because it takes a lot to be, to, I mean, who would admit to this, but 
They suspected that it was because the partner was then worried that she would get pregnant and then go on maternity leave and like disappear. And this happens all the time in very subtle ways, right? Like, and you can't really quite prove it. And it's just like all happening around you. And you're like, what has changed? Like, has the temperature in this room absolutely changed? And I didn't know it. And you start, there's no one to confirm that this is happening. So you just like live in your own bubble of gaslighting. And I think that's what Shiv has to deal with a lot of the times where she's like, am I getting pushed out? Like, where am I going to make my bed? Because it's always possible that they don't have my best interests at heart because, you know, no one's really, especially in succession, like everyone is kind of out for themselves. But I think especially there's so few women in power in their group, it's very easy to see who gets cut first. And we kind of do see it throughout season four where there are like unceremonious dismissals of both Shiv and Jerry, who it's like, it's crazy to fire Jerry, in my opinion. Like I would, I would trust her with my life. Oh, me too. I love Jerry, but their method is so different. Cause I feel like Shiv comes in being like, oh, I know everything. And then you find out she doesn't Mm -hmm. and you kind of kick her out. Whereas Jerry comes in saying, oh, I'll just help you. I'm just going to be on the sidelines, but really she knows everything and you let her in even further. So they both have distinctly opposite approaches. And Jerry is like, like, yeah. hats off to Jerry, dude. I I would say she's probably my favorite character in Succession. Yeah, yeah, same. And I think they kind of represent two poles of what it's like to be a woman in these, like, hyper-powerful masculine spaces, right? Where you do have to go in and either be like, hey, I know more than... I actually know because you need to kind of like have this puffery, do what the men are doing, and just pretend like you can actually you know, sell yourself in a way. But then the other way of navigating corporate spheres as a woman is through this kind of like more insidious way of like, oh, you know, I I just want to help. Like, oh yeah, like maybe have you thought about this? And you kind of learn how to adopt both tones as a woman in like meetings because you can't actually just go out and say what you mean all the time. Like that's just not acceptable. So I love that Jerry and Shiv kind of represent these like two poles of what it's like to be a woman in the workplace. Yes. And I find it like, remember when Roman was sending pictures of his dick to Jerry? Like, Jerry just like, <laughs> who could forget? <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, an HBO showed that shaft. I'm sure it's like not actually <laughs> his, but Jerry just kind of took that in stride and you could tell she was like keeping it in her arsenal. Whereas I'm sure if like somebody did that to Shiv, she would have gone on the offensive and done something like step one when it happened. Mm-hmm. Because I think we see that like, Shiv for all of her work in politics is a little bit kind of reactive and defensive in a way that Jerry has just never been because she's such like a snake in the grass. I love her. Yeah. Well, and she had to like come up during a time where there just weren't a lot of women period, right? Like you do have to be a lot more uh, subtle about things and like keep things in your arsenal when I know J. Smith Cameron kind of like feels some way about getting made fun of her age all the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think the fact that she is older, more established is a really great contrast and relief to how Shiv acts. Yes. And you know what? Sarah Snook must be a good person too, because there's no blind items about her. So anytime there's no blind items, I'm like, oh my God. So like she must be a good person or she hasn't done anything. She's married to a comedian. Let's move on to Brian Cox. He's a Scottish actor. He plays Logan Roy, Mm -hmm. the patriarch of everything. He was the first to portray Hannibal Lecter on screen. He's been in major films. He's been in Braveheart, Super Troopers, Adaptation, the Bourne franchises. And he does a lot of voice work, which I always think 
I mean, that's the dream job. And he's been married three (laughs) times, so he's, like, gotten around. And what's interesting about him, we did a Lord of the Rings episode over on Patreon, and some of the older actors on there, similar to Brian Cox, share a lot of views on not liking cancel culture. He called it a kind of modern-day McCarthyism. And I find that really interesting that so many older actors say, like, give these quotes about not liking cancel culture. I'm like, first of all, who's trying to cancel you guys? Like, nobody is. Where do you think that comes from? Because if, like, if I looked for a quote on any actor over the age of 60 who talks about cancel culture, I can kind of find it. So I find that interesting. Yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that we live in a world now where everything is so much more recorded all the time, right? Like, we might be outside and we might not be recording, but someone might be recording. And we like kind of live in an increased perpetual fear of doing something wrong, which like, let's be frank, we're all going to do something wrong at some point. And, but we don't really have like a major point of contrast like these older actors do, right? Like they really did, they have this like relative comparison of what it's like to be in a world where there is less risk of getting outed for something that you said or, you know, getting something taken out of context. And that both has like good and bad parts, right? It also enables predators like Harvey Weinstein to thrive. But there is something lost when you do feel like every move you make, everything you say could be used against you. And you have this, like, you just move less freely through the world. And I think the older actors are kind of responding to this new reality where they do feel like they have less freedom. They can, can't can say what they want to say all the time. And maybe what they want to say isn't good and that's a good thing, but maybe what, what they want to say is actually, you know, nuanced and fine addition to the conversation that they are now afraid to say. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, even for me, it's crazy that we now live in a world that's so digital because, right, we're millennials. We grew up, like, having a home phone. Imagine, like, not even having, like, a home phone. I mean, I'm sure that they did. But you know what I mean? Like, that's a completely different <laughs> world to come from. Other than that, like, yeah. he's pretty outspoken. He does, he does, like, a little sassy quotes here and there. Apparently, he's not very good at learning complicated scripts quickly because I think they would change a lot of the lines in and out of succession. So he would kind of piss people off <laughs> with that. And, of course, he has his beef with Jeremy Strong. There wasn't really too many blind items about him. There was one saying that a character on succession would not be in much of season four, which I think we can now conclude was basically, we all knew Logan Mm. was going to like die at some point. Spoilers. And then there's also too, like he has given different clips to where it seemed like he wasn't defending Amber Heard, but then it came out that he was just kind of shitting on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. But then he said he felt sorry for her. So it's interesting. I think a lot of these older actors haven't been media trained for our time and they just say anything that they think and then end up having to like do a retraction and be like, sorry, here's what I really meant. So Kieran Culkin, who plays Roman, thoughts on him. Obviously he is the brother of Macaulay Culkin. He's the middle child of seven. He's in that showbiz family. And I think he plays Roman so well. He also has such a distinct voice. Like that voice is perfect for Roman. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, he initially auditioned for Greg, right? And I just can't imagine him being like cousin Greg because in my head, yeah, it's like, he is such a perfect Roman. I actually just don't even know what he'd be like in real life. If I saw him, I'd imagine him to be exactly like Roman Roy. Like I don't even know who else he would 
be like. Me too. And like, that's why when I found out with a little bit of his uh, dating history, and we'll say here one blind item, but he dated Scarlett Johansson for a bit. And I'm like, but how? Because like, he doesn't have sex. He just jerks off onto <laughs> windows. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, sorry. Like, that's Roman. That's Roman. That's Roman. But let me read this blind. Yeah. It says, this sexy movie actress and this intense actor have been friends since they were kids. She definitely has a higher profile than he does. But lately, he has been landing some big roles as well. When reports about them playing kissy face started to appear recently it was puzzling because they make for a rather odd match well we have a scoop for you it's not a real relationship just a temporary bearding gig which like you know it's it's not a blind item episode unless you talk about bearding but i will say like macaulay Culkin <laughs> dated mila kunis i bet those Culkin. Culkin, Culkin, whatever like that family must have some serious pheromones because like they get freaking ladies dude they get ladies yeah i mean there is something they're unassuming right like they look so nice and unassuming that i would be a little bit like oh that's interesting you're you're an actor like you're in things you know compared to the chris evans ryan goslings it's like i i get those but you know the kieran culkins the macaulay culkins you're just like hmm how does this work and you kind of want to like see if there's some like hidden sauce there that you kind of have to experience for yourself. So I, I see the traction. Right? What's funny is that a lot of these blind items come mostly from Dumois when it comes to succession rather than crazy days and nights or blind gossip. But there was one Dumois item here that says, there's definitely a divide between the succession cast. Two cast members can't hide their disdain for a certain actor on the show. The one that frequents on here doesn't share the same disdain. And we'll get later into Dumois' like obsession with Les Braun. But this is basically, <laughs> alleging that Brian Cox and Kieran Culkin don't like Jeremy Strong, but Nicholas Braun is like fine with him. So a little bit of tea. Okay. Alexander Skarsgård, can we talk about Lucas Matson and how <laughs> fucking hot but weird he is? What are your thoughts on Lucas? I'm so glad he's in the show now. I, I don't know about hot, but you know, weird is definitely <laughs> one way to put it. Uh, I, I mean, I love his character. I love Alexander Skarsgård as an actor, like just brilliant. And I do think it's funny because they probably would have written this and shot this pre-Elon Twitter takeover, I believe. Mm. And I like you couldn't have predicted a more perfect confluence of like real events with the events of the show. And I think it kind of goes to show just how realistic, you know, Lucas Matson is and like how crazy and unhinged the the random like tech billionaires that come in and like try to be this like futurist evangelist just like I don't know they're just like they're so weird and we all treat them like geniuses and I think that's the thing that I love is that it it just like succession the show goes to show that being born rich right which we we all think about like I'm always like man wouldn't it be nice to have been born into into a trust fund I think about that all the time but then you watch succession and it's like that cathartic experience where you're like oh I don't know I don't I'd rather have like a loving parent or like loving siblings or like something and I think Lucas Matson is the same way where sometimes we think oh why don't I just like create an app or like do some new money thing and like become a billionaire another way of getting into wealth but then we see what Lucas is like and we're like oh I don't I don't know about that like is this any better than the old money and then we just at the end of the day don't want to become rich yeah and it's like that thing that his uh Eba right his like PR comms yeah yeah, said (laughs) where she was like he's not even a coder like we just like said that he was basically to make him seem like cool and like it's not what everyone says about Elon Musk and like 
Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by his character because Alexander Skarsgård is sexy as hell. Oh, my God. Like, he's so good looking. <laughs> but he's able to play awkward just in his posture mm-hmm. and, like, the cadence of his words and how they come out. Even though he's, like, a 10 out of 10 on a red carpet, when you see him in succession, you're oh, like, totally. oh, there's something off with that guy. And, like, he plays a little bit off. So he's Swedish. He was born in Stockholm. He started acting at age seven. And then it says here that he quit at age 13, which I find so funny, like a 13-year-old <laughs> putting in their notice. He wanted to have a normal childhood. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm about to be going through puberty, and I don't want my face on HD cameras. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, me too. But then, obviously, he yeah. got back into acting. His first role in the U.S. was in Zoolander. He was one of those boys who wanted to get orange mocha frappuccinos. And then everybody knows him mostly for his breakout role of Eric, the vampire in True Blood. And I won't read every single blind item, but there were about, I'm scrolling through, 18 saying that he's like closeted and bearding and like his Alexa, his relationship with Alexa Chung was like bearding, bearding, and like they didn't even like each other. I don't know. I mean, he's a handsome man. Yeah. Going back to at Yale, there was like this joke that one in four, maybe more. And (laughs) it was a joke about how many men would turn out to be gay because like Yale's like a huge coming out school and it led to like me and my friends in college like coming up with this term I think we put it onto Urban Dictionary TGG tragically gay guy because like we would meet so many like well-dressed hot men like very well educated like very sophisticated and then we'd like you know swoon over them for maybe a few days and then we'd find out oh yeah like so they were hooking up with this person this guy at this party And they were just, like, tragically gay. So sometimes I'm like, if they're too good to be true, they might be too good to be true. That's what I think when, like, everybody's thirsting over Pedro Pascal on TikTok now. I'm like, um, like, maybe don't be. (laughs) You're barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit about Nicholas Braun, who plays Cousin Greg. The Mm. first thing I want to talk about. Definitely straight. Yeah, definitely straight. And also, allegedly, maybe a little bit of a freaking creep. Have you seen this? allegation video about him on TikTok. No. So Wait, something bad has... Yes. So it was around <laughs> oh, no. for 24 hours and then it got deleted and there was a girl on TikTok and she had photos. It was like a photo of her with Nicholas Braun at Coachella years ago. Why do I want to say 2016? I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe that's not it. But basically sh- there was videos of... Or sorry, photos of them together at Coachella. She's on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. She's like, we hung out with him. We partied with him at Coachella. I was in high school. He wanted me to go back to his hotel room with him. And I said, no, I'm in high school. And he like still wanted me to go back. I ended up not going back with him. But another girl in my high school, we found out the next day, did sleep with him. Now, maybe (gasps) she didn't say that he was in high school, but like... Uh, high schoolers like young dude and then also the fact that she said she was in high school and this is all alleged but still and then he was like okay still do you want to come back like what is it what's that quote where it's like not all men but somehow always a man you know (laughs) yeah 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 and I mean if it was like 2016 it was kind of before there was major awareness that there was this kind of like predation upon high schoolers. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything like pre me too is 
it was just another time, especially when it came to like how celebrities especially thought that they could conduct themselves um, and take advantage of extremely young women or like, you know, their fans who might be like so excited to meet them. There just wasn't that caution because again, pre-digital era, pre-Me Too, you just didn't, there weren't any consequences really. And you know what? I'm going to scratch... 2016 because I don't know why maybe it was the fact that she was 16 or something because I feel like he was on succession when that happened and if this started in 2018 it it must have been later so I don't know the exact date but yeah and I'm with you isn't it funny how like now not not to say that like certain safety topics trend but we are a lot more aware of grooming and like underage girls in that like 14 to 18 range. But it's funny because when I was growing up, the big thing that we were all scared about was a white van going to kidnap us. And like nobody talks about white vans kidnapping people anymore. But I remember walking home from school, I was like, every white van could be a kidnapping vehicle. Maybe that was like something that like went around in our town. But yeah, he was in Disney movies as a teenager. He is like a Dumois favorite, which like, I don't know why, because like, I don't think there's anything that special about him. But I think like if you see him in New York, odds are you could probably have sex with him that night. So maybe that's why people like him. (laughs) And then he said in a New York Times interview that he hasn't yet been in a long-term relationship, quote, I do yearn for it and yet I'm incapable of it. I go toward it and I hit a wall where like, I'm like, I can't go farther than this. I've got to exit. I'm fascinated by romance and courting another human. Oh, by the way, non-binary, gay. Okay, anyway, I haven't really been in a long-term <laughs> relationship ever. So, I mean, he's a, he's avoidant, right? I feel like he's describing somebody who's avoidant. Yeah, and he's like in his mid-30s, right? Like at that point, <laughs> if a dude has never had a long-term relationship, I'm like, okay, that is definitely a you problem at that point. Like <laughs> not one, like not not one. You didn't like fall in love with someone in high school or college or like, I don't know, early years of your 20s. I don't know. Maybe he's a sociopath. Isn't that wild? And like he, uh, so he, he co-owns, raise that bar I think it's like on the lower mm-hmm. east side or something and it's funny because I feel like the first two seasons everybody's like oh my god we love cousin Greg and I hate cousin Greg so that's probably why like my feelings are coming out about Nicholas Braun but like I hate mm-hmm. him so much because I'm like and you really didn't do anything and you're like only getting by on nepotism and like you are an evil person and the way that he fired all those people in that last episode ooh, like <gasps> Yeah. God, he's just like the worst and he's not even good at his job. So yeah. Do you think he's yeah. going to take the yeah, throne? Yeah, yeah. Cause I know some people have that working theory that he's the one who wins in the end. God, I really hope like I have such respect for like Jesse Armstrong and the writers on succession. I hope they don't take that path because I feel like while it might be like, Ooh, look at this. It's almost like expectedly cynical, like too predictably cynical about everything. And I feel like the show has been so nuanced and complex with its characters, its relationships, that putting Cousin Greg on the throne would just be kind of a cop-out. It's like, oh, okay, but you know, you say something more interesting, like make the win a little bit more you know, complex, like maybe we part, part of us should also feel happy about it. Whereas I think of cousin Greg, we're just like, Oh, okay. Another Nepo baby who like failed upwards. And I agree. Like he doesn't even have the, the kind of like sophistication or like the suaveness of maneuvering in that world that, uh, I don't know. I'm just like, if he, yeah, I also don't like cousin Greg. I think he is a, a true character, but also a horrible character. And the fact that Nicholas Braun spends time at 
the at Ray's, which he co-owns a lot. It just like gives me like ick vibes yeah. like you know you own somewhere and you're just gonna like hang out there all the time knowing that people are trying to find you and meet you and like taking advantage of that like he's into some like weird power dynamic by hanging out at his own restaurant which I think probably makes him a good actor for like Greg but like the power dynamic thing is like really gross and now that you know about this like TikTok allegation thing it's like he he has issues with like power and like I don't know. He should probably go see a therapist. Dude, right? Like, the more I learn about all of these characters, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, they're the same in person as they are yes. on the show. So, anyway, he's like a Dumois B-list favorite or something. And uh, <laughs> there were allegations that he was dating uh, Dasha, that girl from the Red Scare. Remember when she was, I think, in season three, mm. Kendall's, like, PR rep? So, there were rumors that, like, they hooked up yeah, when yeah. they were filming in Italy and then there was also rumors that Cousin Craig, a.k.a. Nicholas Braun, sucks on toes during intimate moments. Oh. Why could I see it? I could okay. kind of see him sucking on some toes. Yeah. No, for sure. If you're hanging out at your own restaurant trying to pick up chicks, <laughs> you're probably into sucking you, toes. Yeah. yeah. In the Venn diagram of people yeah. who hang out at their own restaurant and suck toes, there's a few people in the middle that I could think of. Yeah. All right. Tom, Matthew McFadden, we said he played Mr. <gasps> Darcy. He's said before in an interview with NPR that Tom Wamsgam, or however you say it, is a long way from Mr. Darcy. And he's just got that face. Like, he's been in Anna Karenina, uh, Withering Heights. Like, he's got that romantic, pining-for-you type of face. And it's so funny how long hair versus short hair... I was thinking of this when I watched Daisy Jones and the Six and Sam Claflin had the long hair versus when he plays Finnick O'Dare in Hunger Games and he has short hair... Hair can really change a guy. I much prefer yeah. uh, Mr. Darcy with long hair than Tom with the short hair. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I think short hair Tom is very, it's still like earnest in a way, but there is a veneer of uh, deviousness mm -hmm. that, you know, with a long hair, I'm like, you know, you couldn't mislead me. <laughs> with a short hair, I'm like, you know, you're sweet, but there must be something behind it, which is kind of the theme of the show. Dude, Like, yes. it is his role in the show. Totally. And my friend Chelsea saw him in person, Matthew, and she said that he was really good looking, which she was like... Oh, I can Yeah, see she's that. like, you wouldn't think so, because, like, he plays Tom, but, like, he's really good looking in person. Oh! Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think he's good looking. I kind of... <laughs> I feel like I need to go look at his... some some of his videos where he like speaks his, in his British accent. I hope he has a British accent in his normal cadence. Yeah. Uh, that, that really like does it for me in some way. Right? Like, God, gotta love it. And there was a, let's see. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was one blind item that was kind of interesting about how allegedly Army Hammer was spending all of his time on set during the filming of Rebecca trying to sleep with Lily James, or Lily James, sorry. But she was relationship- with Matt Smith. Matt Smith plays the guy, Dan, Damon or whatever, on House of the Dragon. He was also in like, I don't know. Oh my mm -hmm. God, True Detective? No, oh my God, Doctor Who? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> he was in like some sci-fi thing. Anyway, so Army Hammer was hitting on Lily James on set, but she was in a relationship with Matt Smith. And then she was also fending off Matthew McFadden at the time. So basically, like, there was just some blind item about how everybody was hitting on Lily James for one moment. And then there was a wacky blind item 
which is definitely false, but I'm saying it because it's so funny. That said that Matthew McFadden has a collection of cat anus pics on an old laptop that he carries around oh everywhere. And I know it's fake, but why is that so... F- I can't... I don't know what's funnier, whoever wrote it, saying that it was the cat anus or that it's on an old laptop that he carries with him. <laughs> Just like... The, you know, I feel like the person who wrote it probably does that and was like, I want to normalize this in some way. So if I submit it as a blind item, this will normalize it increasingly. And then I can talk openly about my collection of cat anus pictures. Cat anus. I think there's a quote in 30 Rock where like cat anus, cat anus, cat anus. And they're like trying to see like what, what words you can get away with saying on uh, on air without like getting fined. Yeah. Anyway, Alan Ruck, he played Connor. Everybody forgets about him, but not me, baby, because I am a con head and his big claim to fame here is that he played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's so I mean he's so great in Cam, like you know as Cameron and also so great as con mm-hmm. and I kind of wish he had more screen time I like feel for him so much he's just like kind of an outsider always being like I just want to do karaoke because I've seen people do karaoke and I just want to do it once and I'm like con like yes you want to be where the people are you want to like live the life you see on TV and instead you're stuck with these schmucks. Right? And also he's getting 1%, which is pretty good in the polls. And in Alaska, he said 4 to 6%. 4 to 5. 4 to 5, yeah. Yeah. He's doing phenomenally. And what was that thing where he was like, when I run for president, like one of the things I'm going to institute, semen retention. I was like, I would vote for that person. Because like (laughs) how insane, like I feel like, I feel like right now things are bad in America, you know, mm-hmm. bad, yeah. but they're not funny bad. And if there was like a rule about semen <laughs> retention, like it would be bad, but at least then it would be like funny bad. Cause it would just be so bad and like weird that you could then laugh at it. But right now it's like, oh no, I just like, I don't have healthcare. But if I didn't have healthcare and the government said that I had to like retain my semen, I would be like, at least it's kind of funny now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I always say, how do you make people pay attention to boring things? Make it funny or scandalous. Yeah. So I I feel like the government's getting there. (laughs) I feel like there's more scandals every day. And maybe the next step will be making things funny. We'll have, like, funny politicians intentionally, not unintentionally. That would be nice. Like, God, get some good script writers for those... uh... (laughs) different speeches they're doing. And then as we wrap things up here, we got J. Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry. The J stands for Jean. I don't know why she goes by J. Smith, but she does. It sounds more like, it sounds more neutral. You're like, oh, J. Smith. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Like, I'm thinking it's probably colonizer, good for- like John Smith. I would have put the Jean in there, right? <laughs> Isn't that what you think? You think J. Smith? I'm like, John, Johnny. <laughs> oh, no. And you're like, you're the original. Yeah. But she, so she, you know, she has been in uh, previous things before Succession. She was also in True Blood. So I wonder if her and Alexander Skarsgård met on the set. Mm. She's married, but obviously the internet ships her with Roman because I I feel like it was something that like we didn't expect to like him jerking off while she coaches him through it. But for some reason, why did it feel kind of romantic? I don't know. For some reason, like there was something kind of settling about it. And she's given quotes about this where she was like, Kieran and I, in a friendly way, started this sort of silly flirtation because we found we were sympathetic to each other. We got each other's sense of humor and we would riff off of each other. And she does seem like a riffer. She seems like she can roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. They kissed at the SAG Awards. And then they also fight too. She took to Twitter to say that she threw a drink in his face one night. 
because he was making jokes about how like she was old and how like <laughs> we have to get Jean Smith like to bed early. Come on, we got to go. It's eight <laughs> o'clock. She stayed up late, and then she threw a glass of uh, Pellegrino in his face. Yeah, but you know it's Pellegrino, so it's basically uh, like cleaning. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you use it to clean stains out of your shirt. So I, I love their relationship. I think it's a very realistic, like, colleague-coworker relationship where you spend too much time with each other and you do just, like, poke fun of each other. But at the end of the day, it is all done with love. And, like, it's not like she threw, I don't know, juice at his face or, like, an alcoholic drink. It was just Pellegrino. Yeah, exactly. I would open my mouth and catch some of it in and I would say, thank you, Jerry. Thank you, you know? Because uh, mm. any interaction with her, like, God, there's just something about her where, like, you got to love a woman who knows what she's doing. So as we wrap things up here, knowing that we've got a couple episodes left, which thank you for cluing that me into that because I was about to watch this Sunday and be like, wow, big things are going to happen if they're going to wrap it up. <laughs> but now I know we've got more ahead of us. My final question to you is how do you think it ends? Who ends up in that big daddy CEO position, who's coming out of this entire finale on top? Is it any one of the siblings or do you think it's going to be somebody else? I feel like, uh, I feel like it has to be someone that we know, right? Or else it can't be kind of like a deus ex machina. But I feel like, you know, if any of the siblings did wind up on top, it would almost feel, uh, I just like don't know who I would root for at that point. I'm kind of hoping that Jerry does make a comeback and is somehow through a series of events like crowned the actual successor uh that doesn't seem to be going that way but that's kind of what I want in my heart and soul or something I feel like I'd be okay with Kieran you know like or sorry with Roman like I feel like he you know he's at least good and he like feels he feels an obligation to be good which is way more than other people can say although you know what would be a fun choice I know. I feel like if he ascended. Bring him home. Con head for the win. Like I'm putting it on. I agree with you. I think if anyone, like for some reason I can see Roman because I think people have said too, right? Like that a couple episodes ago when they were like, who do we think it could be? It's like, it could be Roman. He's just not ready yet. Whereas Kendall has so many fatal flaws and Shiv just like believes she's there, but she isn't, which I think is her fatal flaw. So yeah, if I had to vote anyone, Mm -hmm. I'm going Roman, but like we should, do you want to make a little $5 Venmo bet right now and uh, see if we get it right? So you say Roman. Yeah, let's do it. I say Roman. Oh, okay. no, wait, we, bo- yeah. we both say the same thing. We'll have to. Oh, no, we have to pick. <laughs> All right. I think that Jerry is going to leave. Do you think she's going to come back? We could differ on that. Um, I think I think she'll make a comeback. Okay. And I think she's going to so, get out of there with we'll her see. dick pics and her millions and just retire somewhere and be like, oh, I have his shaft for collateral. I'm good. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. The best, the best collateral is dick. Exactly. All right. Well, Cece, thank you for breaking all of this down with me. And if anybody wants to hear more uh, of your thoughts on, I mean, you talk about everything from corporate lifestyle to the lifestyle of being a creator, all of that is going to be on Sense and Sensitivity, your podcast with Hannah Stella, your currently workshopping podcast, and in maybe about two years, a book as well. So Thank you for coming on. Let everybody know uh, where they can find you online if they want to. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm easy. CC Shia everywhere. C-E-C-E-X-I-E. And yeah, hopefully uh, we see how this ends. And thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I can't wait to see you. But I'm so sad you're moving. So uh, 
I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to cry. I know. I know. It's a little bit bittersweet. But you know what? Nothing's nothing's forever. And if succession has taught us anything, it's that plane travel mm. exists. So I'll probably be taking advantage but of that. But also only in New York. Yes. <laughs> yeah, only in New York and New only, York or nowhere. only helicopters. All right. Thank you, everyone, for yeah. listening. And we will see you next week for another episode of Fluently Forward. Bye, guys.